0: Open up to the book of Third John. You know, it's not very often we cover an entire book of the Bible in one sitting. I thought I was up for the challenge, and I will try to do that today. Uh, Romans is a much different book than Third John. All 15 verses of it—the shortest book in the New Testament—if you go back to the original Greek—and well, we got through in the first service, so I think we're in good hands here in the second service, and God's still on the throne and. And uh, we have a lot going for us. And um, what we're going to be looking at today as you open up the book of 3rd John, and perhaps you, you notice when Joseph was reading from this wonderful small letter from the Apostle John, is a number of times the emphasis on the word truth. Truth. Six times in 15 verses is this noun used there and referenced by John in this small letter? Six times. And so the truth is a clear priority for John. In fact, it's a priority in all his writings. You go to the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and here in 3 John, and the truth, the truth is a priority. It's in the front. It's at the forefront. And therefore, when we go to uh, this passage today, or this letter, what we're going to be looking at is the preeminence of truth in the letter of Third John. The preeminence of truth. Many of you have traveled around at times and attended various conferences. Some of you guys are like conference goers. It's all about another conference. And there's Bible conferences and biblical conferences, but a lot of times there's like conferences that are for a profession or for a trade. I hear about some of you that times go to a medical conference, for instance, and you go there at a conference, what, it's a a gathering of like-minded individuals that are drawn together by a certain profession or a a particular interest. And as you gather together you're dedicated typically around a specific theme, aren't you? In a keynote speaker, someone there is to speak about their experience or their history, a person renowned in their field who speaks with a stature and a notoriety that's revered and respected and garners the attention of the conference goers. And so if it is a medical conference, the subject at hand might be the latest medical technologies and an expert that speaks on uh, a pioneer in the field perhaps, uh, speaking to a technology or a special medical procedure or you may go to a financial advisor conference where attenders learn how to hone their craft of managing and investing other people's money. I might need to send my financial advisor to a few more conferences. Anyone can relate to that uh, in our economy today. And what do they do? They go there and and they have special speakers that discuss the latest tools and the methods and the tax laws all to help provide financial help, helpful financial help to those who they, their clients. There's even conferences dedicated to the world of comic books, of all things, right? You can rub shoulders with conference goers that are donning their pointed ears, right? And uh, you see those uh, others that are dressed in their favorite superhero paraphernalia. And of course, you end up hearing that keynote on an actor's fantastical exploits as their travels to infinity and beyond, right? And uh, there's this synergy, there's this camaraderie around a specific theme and a specific topic. There's a conference for everything. And here in this wonderful letter of Third John, you can say that John is having a seminar on the truth. And the truth is the ultimate theme of this conference. And not only is truth the ultimate theme and the ultimate subject, truth is also the keynote speaker. And in these 15 truth filled verses, the truth speaks. It speaks authoritatively on the specific circumstances surrounding the events of the particular individual it's written to and the church that he was a part of. And we know that this truth, the, identi- the identity of this truth, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his authoritative word. The truth. John testified to Jesus' own words when he made it unmistakably clear that Jesus himself is the truth. John himself, the Apostle John, the writer of of the third John letter. This gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And he goes on to elaborate in verse 14 of John chapter 1, who this word is. And the word became flesh. The incarnate Christ, who took on flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. What does he say here? Full of grace and truth. Truth. Jesus Himself said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father. But through me and his lost sinners, we can come to know the truth, the very truth that sets the sinner free from that bondage of sin. John elaborates more about a celebration of truth in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The sinner set free who believes on the name of the Son of God, they become children of God. They become followers of the truth. And when you become a follower of truth that's saved by the truth, Jesus sanctifies you in the truth. And in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We're set apart for God. We're we're holy for God. We're set apart by the the, the foreordained knowledge of God and the choosing of God and and believing on the gospel of God and the truth of God. We're sanctified. And it says here, this word, this word of Christ is truth. And his children of God will now have the spirit of truth and the spirit of truth conforms and molds the child of God into the image of his son. And so this truth is a significant theme for John, and specifically here in the book of Third John. And we will see the apostle take the truth of Jesus Christ and shine a spotlight on the specific circumstances that he addresses in this letter. And through the work of the spirit, we know God will use his word to also sanctify us to change our hearts as we learn and yield to these very truths. So as we're going to be looking at the preeminence of truth in the letter of 3 John, what we're going to look at specifically are five applications of God's truth in this letter that we call 3 John. Five applications of God's truth in 3 John. And the first application that the Apostle John gives us is this. There is a rejoicing in the truth. A rejoicing in the truth. Look with me at verses 1 through 4 again. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John, of course, opens the letter by writing some customary greetings before we get to that familiar truth in verse 4, that I have no greater joy verse that we love so much. Let's look at some of these parts of John's opening of this letter. and He first describes himself, the author, as the elder the elder. John does not state his name specifically. In fact, this is the same author cited, the elder, in 2 John. In fact, if you go to all of John's ratings from the gospel to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the author is not noted. Not by name. In here, from earliest times, the author of 3rd John has been accepted to be the apostle John. And the elder here, a title that surely refers in part to John's advanced age. Uh, He was much older now. He was the last living apostle at the writing of this letter. So he was an older man. And as the last living apostle, uh, I believe it's appropriate to call himself the elder. But it surely would be more than that, the elder, surely also signifying his apostolic leadership in the church and um, one that would speak of his uh, uh, authority As an apostle, and it's quite likely that uh, John was writing from the church at Ephesus here, where he may have very well functioned as an elder there. And you can see who he writes to. It's a private letter written to a person named Gaius, an individual. Now, we don't know much about this Gaius. Gaius is uh, the name Gaius, is referenced four times throughout the New Testament, we have no indication it's the same Gaius. In fact, in some cases, we know it's not the same Gaius. In fact, when you look historically, the most popular name in all the Roman Empire was Gaius. So if you were at a, a, a crowd at a Roman square somewhere and you would yell out, hey, Gaius, you get half the crowd turn around. And, and they would say, yes, what would you like? And so we don't know specifically this Gaius and, of course, what the Lord has to share in this letter will suffice you'll also notice that john loves gaius he says there in verse one he addresses him as beloved beloved Gaius. he's communicating john to gaius his loving affection for him it's a very endearing term it communicates communicates a special love it's an agapao kind of love a most noble kind of love and john shares this beloved term for gaius several times You see it in verse 1 and 2 and 3 and 11. He has a great love for Gaius. In fact, this kind of love you see in verse 1 is a love, it says, in the truth. Their common bond in Christ, their common bond in the truth that we just spoke of, their common bond in the word and the revelation of God is a shared love for the truth that drew them together. It's that same truth that draws us together, isn't it? Our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, our love for his word. You could be a carpenter coming in here or an executive. And there is a camaraderie, there is a friendship, there is a kinship like none other. Why? Because we believe in that same truth. It's love in truth. You can be a homemaker or a student. You could be a senior saint or a youth. And we all have this special love and unity because of our common love for the truth. Truth and love are inseparably tied together. It's like the peanut butter and jelly of all the best of sandwiches, right? They just go together. God's truth is foundational to authentic Christian love. God is love and we know how to love because he first loved us. And we can know how to love each other properly when we know God's truth properly. And so without God's truth, love is merely defined by our senses. It is no more than feelings or sentimentality. But John loved Gaius in the truth. Look how John expresses this love for Gaius further in verse 2. Look what he says. He expresses this love to Gaius in his prayer life. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Note first that Gaius' physical health was on John's prayer list. The text does not inform us if Gaius had a significant physical setback or what that might have been. What we do know is that praying for one another's health is a very biblical thing to do. The reason we pray for such needs from the pulpit or Wednesday night or we list them in our TBC prayer bulletin It's a very biblical thing to do. But notice how John refines this prayer request when you look back at verse 2. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's an interesting way to state this prayer request and these good intentions from John to Gaius. John prayed that Gaius' physical health would keep up with the evident progress that was clearly seen with Gaius' soul. Or more plainly, Gaius's spiritual health or his entire being. John was praying that Gaius' physical well-being would keep pace with his spiritual well-being. He was saying, Gaius, God's work in your life is so evident. I ask God to care for you physically in the same way he is caring for you spiritually. And you might Say something like this, if you were talking to a friend, if you were to pray with them, if you would visit them in the hospital or pray for someone that's set back with an illness, you might say this, I I pray for you, sister, that you get over that flu in the same way that you're conquering sin in your life. Or you might say, sister, I pray that you're out of the hospital as quickly as when you turned to Christ in that difficult trial last year. Or, brother, I pray for continued progress in your healing, just like the progress I've seen in your Christ-like service to others. It's like a two-for-one supplication, and they're married together wonderfully, aren't they? What a great way to pray for someone while encouraging them at the same time. Now, John continues to express his love for Gaius with some very special statements leading to our main point here. If you look at verses 3 and 4, he says, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Here we see that some Christian brothers had spoken to John about Gaius and the love that he had shown to them. Now we're going to get to these specific acts of kindness at our next point. But look, where he's, what, look what these individuals say here in verse 3. They testified to your truth. Or another way to put this, they testified to the truth that is in you, Gaius. You could say it like this. Gaius, others say that you are a man of the truth. Others say, Gaius, that you are characterized by the truth. You are living out the truth, Gaius. And John makes that clear when he adds, as indeed you are walking in the truth, as you are walking in the truth. Now, we know this is not a literal walking, one step in front of the other, walking in truth with a t-shirt that says truth on it, right? It's a little more deeper than that, right? This is walking in a metaphorical sense. It's how you're living out. It's your pattern of living. Walking in the truth, it's practicing the truth, it's an obedience to the truth, it's a lifestyle consistent with the truth. And notice here, John was not overjoyed because Gaius heard the truth, or even because Gaius knew the truth, as important as those things are. John commends Gaius for a life that was living out the truth. It was personified, it was embodied, it was how he lived. A life more and more consistent with truth. What a great commendation for for Gaius! I think what in James vernacular, this is what John was saying about Gaius. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I have the privilege and joy of working with our college students and our young singles here at at Timberlake Baptist, along with Pastor Clay and Mary and a number of other leaders, and it is our joy to work with them and. If I have a little more miles on my tires, one of the things I consistently and persistently share with them, and a truth I am still learning to develop in my life, is that it isn't enough just to come here to know more. You must do what you know. You must put to practice what you learn. It's so easy to come and, and go. It's like, I've learned more and I'm growing. I have more knowledge now, so I must be closer to Christ. And oh, the knowing and, and the hearing, they are absolutely critical and important. But folks, that's the first step. Faith comes from hearing. And when you hear, you must exercise faith. This is where it goes. This is the direction. This is the intent. We must be doers of the word. And, and when John looked at Gaius' life and these, I, and, these, and these individuals that are speaking, of, they could say, he's living out the truth. It's more than just up here. He's doing it. I see it. Don't be content with merely knowing the word. Knowledge puffs up. Seek to apply. When we meet with our college students, we're saying, we, we tell them, okay, what did you learn today? Okay, I hear that. Now, what are you going to do with it today? And sometimes it's like, I haven't thought about that yet. Well, let's talk about it. What are you gonna, what are you gonna, how are you going to put this into practice? What are you going to do? How might you think God use, might use these truths in your life today on the campus at Liberty University? And that question will go for all of us, whether in the workplace or at home or wherever we may go this week. What does God want me to do with the truth? Living the truth. Now, notice here the response from John about Gaius living the truth, about hearing about him living the truth, walking in the truth. He says, I have no greater joy. Now, that's quite a statement. I have no greater joy? Really, John? Isn't there something that really gets your motor running a little more than just seeing someone walking in the truth? And for John, that was not true. That says something, doesn't it? Seeing Gaius live out the truth was the key that turned the ignition of John's joy engine. The son of thunder was fired up. He was excited. It's like rooting for your team at the Super Bowl. I was born in Cleveland. Yes, I have the curse, okay? <laughs> I'll just get that out there. My team has not been to the Super Bowl, but you better believe that they make it. Yeah, there'll be a little excitement in <laughs> riches. You'll, you'll see a little extra smile, maybe a little strut in my step, a little more, a little more spring in my step. Well, the spiritual growth in Gaius' life was John's Super Bowl. It's really what got him going. It's what got him excited. It's what he lived for. It was the desired outcome of the apostle in the believer's life. It gave him no greater joy than to see his children walking in truth. Now, as physical children that many of us have as parents, we can relate to this, can't we? When a child spurns or ignores our counsel, it can be a source of great heartache for the parents. And sometimes it may feel like it's one step forward and 10 steps back as far as spiritual progress for your children. And we remind ourselves God's at work through your faithful parenting and prayerful dependence on God's grace. And so we pray on our knees. We bring our children to a knowledge of the truth, and we we bring them to hear the truth, and we speak it before him, and we try to live it before him, and we want them to hear it. We want them to believe it. We want them to see it. and Oh, what joy it is when they start doing the truth. Christy and I have three children, and all of them were great students. They always were. Um, they got that from my dear wife. And um, they always got the A's. In fact, for some of them, we prayed that they would get a B because it just needed to be something they had to get out of their system <laughs> just to uh, interrupt some of the pride or some of the self-dependence. And when they were in college, I would normally expect a pretty good great card. And uh, their great card, of course, the the A's they would get were very different than their father's first years in college, where I specialized in different letters of the alphabet <laughs> on my grade card. We won't go into an exposition of my, <laughs> ex- my, my grade card today. We'll just leave that alone. But at the semester's end, I was excited to see their grades and how they worked so hard for those. And they would always get used to my response when I would look at their grade card. Guys, as excited as I am, to see these good grades, I want you to know this. I will always take something less than an A if the reason was because you were chasing harder and harder after God. In all the successes I prayed for for them and every goal I wanted them to meet and every big project I wanted them to do well in, if you're a parent, you know that's really quite insignificant with the priority of seeing them walking in truth, there is no greater joy, and you share in that joy here in the body of Christ as well, don't we? When we one another, each other, we serve each other, we disciple each other, we counsel each other, we get in each other's drawers, and we start looking at our sins, and we and we share them with one another. And sometimes we sin against one another, and we we ask for forgiveness from one another. And what are, what are we doing? Oh. It's seeing this joy of seeing the truth lived out in our lives when we do these very things with one another. And when we see spiritual change in our brothers and sisters, evidences of Christian growth, progress in Christ-like maturity, we can say like the old apostle would say, I have no greater joy. I would encourage you, as you meet in your Sunday school classes, as you meet in your small groups, take the time not just to share but to listen. Take the time to ask what God's doing in someone's life and listen. See what God is doing. Inquire. Listen. And as you listen and pay attention to what God is doing, rejoice with them. Be encouraged. Take note of their decisions for the name of Christ. Listen up when they take a stand at work and do what's right when it's not popular. Take note when a new convert makes the decision to be baptized and when there's great resistance from their friends. Consider the thought process when a young man starts to evaluate their desire for pastoral ministry and then choose to give thanks and encourage them. There is no greater joy than to see our brothers and sisters walking in the truth. Well, there's not just a rejoicing in the truth that John speaks of here, of five applications of God's truth in 3 John. But there's another one. And that's this. There's a working for the truth. A working for the truth. If you would turn with me in verses to verses 5 through 8, it says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. Well, who are these people that Gaius is ministering to here? Look at this, what we see here. This part of the letter, John is commending Gaius for his faithful practice of the truth in his loving action towards this group of individuals. Specifically, John references a group of individuals that Gaius had Shown Christian hospitality. And Gaius loved on them so well that they gave testimony personally to John for what Gaius had done for them. Who were these people? Well, you see in verse 5, they're called brothers, they're followers of Christ. You see, they're also called strangers. Gaius did not know them before they had come his way. And it says here, they went out for the sake of the name. The sake of the name. The name that is above every name. Jesus Christ. They were ministers and servants of Jesus Christ that went out. They had traveled away from home. These were itinerant preachers, traveling evangelists, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And what do you see here? They, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Or nothing from unbelievers. Those who are not Christians. It says... These ministers only accepted aid from the church of Jesus Christ, and in this case, Gaius. They were very dependent on the church. You see in verse 8 why they accepted nothing from the Gentiles or why Gaius was to support them. It says, therefore, we ought to support people like these. In other words, unbelievers don't have the responsibility to support our missionaries and our evangelists and our Our ministries, this is the responsibility that the church has. And therefore, we ought to support people like these. So these traveling evangelists, these itinerant preachers, they had great needs. And Gaius met them. And therefore, Gaius, it says, was working for the truth. He was extending Christian service to these traveling preachers that he did not know. And in scripture, this ministry is called hospitality though hospitality in its literal meaning means a lover of strangers a lover of strangers takes two words puts them together for love and stranger and that's where you get the word and this was not only a great responsibility and a great service to these traveling evangelists and ministers this is a responsibility for all of us in the body of christ for those whom we meet Romans 12:13 it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek, for, seek it. Go after it. Make it a priority to show hospitality in its most literal sense to those you don't know. It's an act of love, hospitality. It's, and you see this not only with Gaius, but you guys do this as well, where you provide food or lodging or care or protection the needs of a traveler or a visitor that comes your way. And so we would do well to open our homes and share our resources in a hospitable way. What a great privilege we have here at Timberlake to practice hospitality. There's always folks coming, there's always folks going, new families in town, new people coming for work, new students that have come our way, and oh, how I've seen hospitality in how you've greeted visitors and strangers that have come in our midst. What a great privilege. And this is what Gaius was commended for, his hospitality to those who proclaim the truth. And you look there in verse 8, we'll get to the crux of this particular point of this application of God's truth. And that's this, verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers of the truth. Fellow workers of the truth. What is John telling Gaius here? Gaius, when you supported these men with hospitality, you became a fellow worker with their work of the ministry. The word for fellow worker here in the original language and the source of our English word here uh, is is the word synergy. Synergy. We get the word synergy from the original language here. To work together. It's a cooperating with them. It's lending assistance And to the extent that Gaius was called a co-laborer or a work fellow in the ministry with these ministers. A co-worker, a co-laborer. Gaius was an honorary member of this ministry team to those who went out for the sake of the name. As I thought about this truth, I thought how we recently sent out Michael, Laurie, and his family out to the mission field. We sent them out for the sake of the name didn't we? For the truth of Jesus Christ and to share his truth in another land. And get this, when you support the lorries, your financial giving, your prayers, email encouragements, by direct implication here, you have partnered with them in their ministry for Jesus Christ. You are a fellow laborer with them. Tonight, we'll have our family gathering, precious time together we'll get an update on our giving towards our TBC budget, where we are in the budget. We'd like to do things in order here at Timberlake. We'd like to see where we're at. we want like to cheerfully give to God's needs, and the budget that we approved together as a fellowship is just reviewed and just kind of see where we're at. Now, for some of you, you hear about reviewing a budget, and you're like, give me a wall with wet paint, and I'll watch it dry, okay, before I go, and let's do a budget. Let me encourage you with something here as you think about the truths here, maybe to look at, our giving and our our budget in a new and fresh way. This this budget, you know, just it earmarks funds for the lorries and really all our missionaries and all our ministries. And what do we do when we get that update? We're reminded of, wow, look what God's doing. I am a fellow worker. We are fellow workers in this ministry when we give to it and when we pray to it and when we encourage it and when we participate in it and when we use our gifts in it. What do we do? It we're co-laborers, right? And we think about these missionaries, we are co-laborers with them on the field as we're here at home. God says we're co-laborers of the ministry team that literally goes out for the sake of the name. We're workers for the truth. Well, five applications of God's truth in Third John now takes a turn in the book of Third John when we come to verses 9 through 10 where we see a great resisting of the truth, you know, things have been a lot of confetti, and there was a lot of commendation for the truth and a lot of celebration of the truth. And now we're going to see a resistance or an opposition to the truth. If you look at verses nine and ten, it says, "I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he." Ref- refuses to welcome the brothers and also stop those who want to and puts them out of the church. In these two verses, John takes us into the living room of a church where you could say there was some very ugly domestic abuse and turmoil in this church family that was brought on by a rogue leader named Diotrephes. It is clear from the text that Diotrephes held some position of leadership in this local church that he was a part of, some way of leadership, a pastor, a leader. It seems apparent that Diotrephes' sinful attitude and his ungodly actions were likely the impetus of John even writing this letter to Gaius to encourage him and to give him clarity in these difficult circumstances. And the Apostle John lays out Diotrephes' wicked deeds in verse 10. He was personally refusing to show any hospitality, any aid to these itinerant preachers, the ones going out for the sake of the name, the ones the brother the, the, the brothers that Gaius himself had aided so graciously and not content with this opposition? Diotrephes then opposes anyone else who would provide any kind of aid to them, going to the extent of expelling them from the church if they if they would lend them any aid. Wow. That must have been some kind of family gathering service when Demetrius brought the family together. And John says, "There, I've written something to the church." We don't know what this letter is. You see, there in verse reference in verse nine, we don't we don't have that in our possession. It's surmised that John had already tried to address these issues with Demetrius. I'm sorry, with Diotrephes and. And this was spurned. Perhaps the letter was never read to the church, or perhaps the letter was discarded or even uh, uh, destroyed. Either way, Diotrephes' response was a resistance to the truth in how he responded to these workers of the truth. It's clearly seen that here that for Diotrephes, the church did not revol- revolve around Christ. The axis of Diotrephes' world was the axis of self it was all about him and so where john left off highlighting the life of gaius walking in the truth of the faithful love shown to the brethren, we see a stark contrast with Diotrephes, showing that he opposed the truth so different from what we see in scripture of peter's instruction for leaders of the church for elders for pastors for overseers 1 Peter 5, 1 through through 3 says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, protect them, feed them, nurture them, care for them. Exercise oversight. Give them leadership, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and you see here, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And, of course, Diotrephes did not obey this command and ran contrary to it in his leadership. And it says in verse 10 that when John would come, he would bring up what he is doing and would likely engage in church discipline much like we see for an unrepentant elder in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. And what we'll see here is John identifies an, exp- an expose, if you will, of diatrophies' sins. What was behind these actions? What was he doing? And we'll just briefly look at these. You see, almost like a skillful lawyer here, showing exhibits, if you will. And exhibit A, he talks about his pride. In verse 9, you see verse 9b, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, or what the King James says, who loveth to have the preeminence. He craved control to the extent that he missed the entire reason the church exists in the first place. Colossians 1.18 says that Christ is the head of the church and that in everything he might be preeminent. Not us, but him. This is about God's kingdom, not our kingdom. Exhibit B in John's expose of Diotrephes' sins was that he had a rebellious attitude. He showed rebellion. You look there in verse, at the last part of verse 9. He does not acknowledge our authority. He claimed an authority of his own. He rejected the authority of the apostle. And this rebellion was exhibited by his unteachable spirit. It was his way or else. And so he refused to listen to the apostle and refused to adhere to the truth. Exhibit C was an untamed tongue, an untamed tongue. He talked wicked nonsense against John, against these these ministers. It literally reads here in the text, gossiping evil words against us. Theotrophes was speaking nonsensical evil accusations and falsehoods against John and these other believers. So outrageous that John didn't even give it the courtesy to repeat what he had to say. And he undermined John's apostolic authority to promote himself. Wicked nonsense, evil from the tongue. We know from the scriptures that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of here was long thought of down here. And the wicked talk of diatrophies came from a heart that had evil motives and intentions that were sinful and not committed to God's purposes. And finally, you see Exhibit D. He was divisive and unloving. And we saw there he refused to welcome the brothers. And he stopped those who wanted to and put them out of the church. Pride. Rebellion. An untamed and divisive tongue. Pride. If your struggle is pride, oh, humble yourself. We all struggle with pride, but oh, the scriptures are clear. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Andrew Murray said that pride is the root of every sin and evil. Another author said the world's smallest package is a man wrapped up in himself. Oh, that we would humble ourselves. If your struggle is rebellion, soften your heart, submit to the truth and to one another. Let God teach you If your son is with your tongue, ask God to expose what you cherish more than him. Confess and turn from that and practice speaking profitable and edifying words that come from a heart filled with good treasure. Let's get to our last two points here. As we saw Diotrephes and his rogue leadership and his bullying pulpit lifestyle, we take a turn here from resisting the truth there's something much more positive again and something we should do with what we saw and heard about in Diotrephes' life and Gaius' life. And that's this. We need to be imitating the truth. Another application of God's truth in Third John is that we must be all about imitating the truth. It says there, and if you look with, the, with me in verse 11 and 12, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. This verse 11 comprises the lone imperative command of Third John. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Imitate. This word imitate is where we get the English word mimic like an actor or an actress that impersonates the voice or mannerisms or movements of someone else. But here we're talking about not following what an actor does, but mimicking and imitating that which is good and dis- and using enough discernment that we do not follow or imitate that which is evil. And this is obviously a direct connection to diatrophies. Do not imitate his conduct. Be discriminating. Don't follow that. Continue to meet the needs and be hospitable and caring and loving to those who come through. Be be dedicated to being workers and fellow workers of the truth. Never stop doing that. Shun this evil model that's before you. And instead, imitate that which is good. Imitate that which is good. And you notice there in verse 11b, it says, Whoever does good is from God. And whoever does evil has not seen God. And perhaps it leads uh, reminds us of the verse in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, where John clearly says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And what is is John saying here when he says... uh, Whoever does evil has not seen go- good, has not seen God. I believe what he's sharing is what the same truths we see in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. John is telling Gaius that Diotrephes is acting like an unbeliever. The text does not call him unsaved, but he tells Gaius, stay on the path of doing good and don't act like an unbeliever. Imitate a good pattern, a godly example. And here we see the godly example, and that's Demetrius. You see in verse 12, it says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, we don't have any background on Demetrius. Some believe Demetrius was the courier of this letter, the one that delivered it to John. What we do see here, though, is what it makes to be a good model of the truth. How do I choose a good model? How do I avoid the bad? Well, here's how you you find the good one. Look what he says about Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. What do others have to say? What is their reputation? Talk to family members. Talk to uh, other people in the fellowship. uh, See what they have to say, right? We're not talking about gossip. We're just talking about what is the reputation they have. Listen. If you want to find a good model and someone to follow, well, it also says, Demetrius followed the truth itself. He had a good testimony from the truth itself. In other words, you could measure the goodness of Demetrius' character by the truth. How does someone's life measure up to the truth? And in a third litmus test for someone you're looking for, it says there in John, it says, We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. John spoke on the life of Demetrius and gave him his con- commendation. And so listen to your leaders. Listen to what they have to say. As they speak in to your life and speak about how to follow a proper model, listen to your leaders. Listen to the reputation. Listen to the truth. And listen to your leaders. And as we close here, we'll go to our final point of five applications of God's truth in Third John, and that's the final closing of the letter, where it speaks about a friendship in the truth. These are only the closing remarks of John, but they're they're loving remarks. They're they're, they're, re- they're remarks of the of the apostle of love. Uh, they're they remarks of a of a shepherd that cares for this dear person, Gaius, and the flock that he was associated with. Read with me there and verses 13 through 15. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The, the friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Look what he says here. I had much to write to you. you know, some some believe here that John just may have run out of room on that one sheet of papyrus he was writing on, and uh, and now he just wanted to go see them. But I... I see something much more here. I get the sense that the Apostle John has a very full heart, a heart of a pastor that cares for the welfare and the good of Christ's sheep, and a heart filled with the truth and filled with love, and a heart of care and concern for his dear brother and the truth. And so John says, even better than writing a, a longer letter, he longs to be in the physical presence of his dear brother and his local church. What a great way to, to summarize the hearts of so many of us here today, right? It doesn't it's just not enough to stream a message back home if you're able to be here. Or when I'm travelling off on business or something and I, I stream the service, it's just not like being with you. In you with me, we there's this camaraderie, there's this joint fellowship. There's this fellowship in the truth and a common love and a bond for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his word. And John expresses, oh, I want to continue to write, but I just want to share more of my heart when I'm there, face to face. And he says, peace be with you. A Hebrew greeting of, uh, uh, of shalom, a, a, a desire for God's tranquility and calm. And he says, the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. This long-term fellowship, this long-distance camaraderie between these believers that were with John, far away from these believers in this church that Gaius was a part of, and he calls them friends. It's an unusual statement for identifying members of the body of Christ in the New Testament, but it's the same thing Christ did in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 14. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so John, I believe, communicates similar sentiments that the Lord Jesus did for his own, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And that is our beautiful privilege in this fellowship, isn't it, friends? We gather together to encourage each other to love and good deeds, to help each other see the sin that perhaps we don't see as clearly ourselves, to take the log out of our own eyes so we can take the speck out of another. And this beautiful interconnected fellowship, something that the fellowship we call Timberlake is a beautiful, wonderful thing that's centered around the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. Five applications of God's truth in Third John. May we all find application ourselves as we seek to be people of the truth, workers of the truth, rejoicing in the truth, imitating the truth, and remaining friends in the truth. Let's close in prayer. What a privilege, Lord, to open your word today and to hear John the Apostle's words before Gaius and the very difficult circumstances he found himself in his setting. And Lord, we have to be honest, sometimes we face various trials and difficulties and opposition ourselves to the truth. And we know from your word that your truth will prevail. And we are encouraged from this truth today that we are to continue rejoicing in it and working in it, and imitating in it, and being friends in it. And Lord, may that characterize our fellowship more and more. May it be the very thing that captivates our hearts, the, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of his words, that we would be sanctified in this truth. Lord, Lord, knowing that it is your word that's truth, may it bind us together, may it give us great unity. And may we be used of you to celebrate the truth, and to have the truth exude from our lives just like we saw in Guy's to the praise and glory of your precious name. Amen.